In one of her signature milestones of independence, my mum got her driver's licence in 1977 when she was 54 years old, which today is like a 40-year-old learning to play Minecraft. So although she became a competent driver, it never really came naturally to her. Tootling along in her British racing green Ford Escort, she'd often become distracted, particularly by conversations within the car, and especially when the topic turned to Dad. If you happened to ponder out loud why Dad had, for example, taken himself off to the Hobart Casino for a holiday, or purchased another greyhound, or given my brothers a dud tip for the Melbourne Cup while backing the winner himself, Mum's driving would take a fast and furious turn for the worse. After one such perilous incident driving down the Toowoomba Range Road, my siblings and I realised when it came to the topic of our father, if Mum was behind the wheel, it was best not to talk about it. So when I heard Grant's story and how he, his sister and his mum had avoided talking about his dad's behaviour, I wondered if it too was driven by a survival instinct. Welcome to my fucked up family. So, Grant, thank you very much for joining us on My Fucked Up Family. Good day. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I've never done a podcast or anything like this before, so it's uh, kind of exciting. I find your story quite intriguing, and I do want to know more. So tell us a little bit about your parents and where they first met. Yeah, so my parents first met in high school. My dad was a senior and my mother was a freshman, and my, my dad's younger sister was actually a classmate of my sister, or of my mom, so they were very good friends. And they went on a few dates throughout high school, but both dated other people. After my mom graduated, my dad had gone off to university. He had done one year and then dropped out and decided to join the U.S. Navy. He did did a couple of years with the Navy. And when he left the Navy, he reconnected with my mother. They started dating more seriously, uh, ended up getting married. In 1988, uh, had, had three kids, uh, the oldest uh brother actually uh, died during labor. Um, then my sister was born in 91, and I was born in 92. My dad was a very, very, very interesting guy for, I mean, a lot of, a lot of reasons. He was a very, very tech-minded guy. Um, I think I understood a lot more about computers than almost anything. So tell me, they were kind of high school sweethearts, then drifted apart, and then got back together and married and had 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 three children, even though the first tragically passed away. So you yep. were you're the youngest in the family, and I'm the baby. Yep. You're the baby of the family, yeah. So what happened then? Yeah, so in I believe it was the May May of ninety four ninety five. I think I was between two and three years old. My my dad approached my mom and asked to go out for a drink, and if we could get a sitter, you know, they could go out and have a drink and talk, and my mom knew something was was up, you know, something was, was feeling off about the way my dad was talking with her and engaging with her. And she really knew something was um, something was up when he didn't want to go to a local bar. He wanted to go to a bar out of town um, where they weren't going to know anybody at the bar that could potentially overhear their conversation. And eventually and my dad kind of was skirting around the topic, trying to make light conversation and my mom is a very, you know, brunt, uh, very blunt woman from you know, German ancestry, and um, she's like, just spit it out, Tom. Just, just tell me what you, what you need to tell me. And that's when he kind of, you know, spilled the beans to say that he, he believed that he 
um, was meant to be a woman and was not actually supposed to be born a man. And right. Yeah. I remember talking to my mom. She remembers kind of feeling numb after that conversation and she was just kind of on autopilot. Yeah. And I think it just came from the, the numbing realization of, um, of what her husband had told her and what that would possibly mean for you know, the future of them as, as a couple and obviously the future of, of her children, me and my sister. Yeah, that's an incredibly brave thing for your dad to do, I've got to say. <laughs> and to so he comes out and he says, look, I, I think I, I should have been born a woman. And so how on earth did that conversation resolve? I mean, how then do you get back in the car and decide to come home? Yeah, so um, it was really, really actually quite interesting. They still lived together for a year after that conversation. And so they were trying to go through different scenarios of of how to play it. Like, do they um, do they get a divorce and, you know, both go their separate ways, live separate lives? Do you somehow try and make it work for the sake of those kids? Um, my mom even said they thought of just moving out of state, just getting out of town and possibly having like a, like a duplex style house where me and your mom and the kids, we lived upstairs and dad would live downstairs as a woman, but still in the same house with us. So we could still have interactions with our father. Yeah. So they really went through quite a different amount of scenarios to try and really nail down what was going to be best for us, us kids. And yeah, that was for both of them. That was the primary, primary aspect that they needed to, to figure out. After a year or so, it became clear that the only the only way that was going to work out is that divorce and live separate lives and what, why, somehow figure out. Why was that? What 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 led them to that conclusion? They thought it would be probably the most healthy way for me and my sister to grow up to not feel like we just have you know some people have skeletons in the closet. We didn't want to have you know dad in the basement, you know, <laughs> um, and you know pretending that life was normal upstairs, but then there was this you know secret downstairs. And obviously, Dad would have you know, still gone to work. He would have lived his life. Um, right. So they so they agreed to get a divorce. And yep. did did your dad did everyone stay in the same town? No. So uh, we grew. I grew up. It was about forty minutes or so northwest of Minneapolis and St. Paul in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, and so my dad moved into the cities and lived in a couple of different apartments with, with a couple of his friends. Um, eventually finding a place on his own. Yes, yeah, so we were we were about about a half hour or so apart with our houses and me and my sister growing up would go to our dad's house every other weekend. Right. Uh, so so, that, so in that in that in that respect nice, uh, in, in that respect it was a very kind of traditional divorced parents thing. You were you'd go and stay with your dad occasionally, but you were pretty much with your mum most of the time. Yeah, and so for the people who didn't know the reason behind the divorce it appeared to be a very normal divorce scenario. And do you remember when your mum actually had the conversation with you first about this is what your dad's doing and why? It's interesting. I don't ever remember having a conversation with my mom about that. Um, and we're talking about with my sister. She doesn't remember having one either. Obviously, for us, by the time our memories are actually being formed and being stored in our, in our memory... It was normal. That was the, the status quo, yeah. how our family was set up. Yeah, and right. it wasn't until you know you start growing up and you start having more friends and you're going over to friends' house for sleepovers and parties that you realize not everyone's family is like this. Yeah. And I don't think I ever I don't think I ever thought that everyone's family was like like ours. 
but not until you have really solid comparisons do you really step back and say this isn't typical with with your dad i mean i i'm actually full of admiration on the surface of it anyway grant it, it sounds like they both handled it as best they possibly could yeah my mom wanted to make sure that both in our family and her friends that my dad's name wasn't being dragged through the mud uh, mom's a very very kind very um very good catholic woman you know she's got a great heart and she didn't want any negative stain uh placed on the character of my father which is yeah very admirable and and like you mentioned, you know, just for my dad, you know, finally taking up the courage to have that conversation, knowing what it would probably result in, was very courageous, mm-hmm. let alone how it affected our family in possible negative ways. But just to be able to stand up and say, all right, this is me. Because my dad had first realized something was was not right in his uh, in his mind when he was 12 years old. So he'd been living with this for a long time. Yeah, right. And so to finally say, like, I, I can't deny who I am anymore. I need to do something about it. How old was he when he had that conversation with your mom? My mom would have been, uh, so my mom was 30 when she had me, so she would have been 32 or 33, and my dad probably would have been 35 or 36. Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a long time to carry something around with you like that. Yeah, yeah, two-thirds of his life. Yeah. And so he wanted to, he wanted to live as a woman, and, and what did, that, what did mm-hmm. that mean in his day-to-day life? Mm-hmm. Um, so dad grew out his hair, uh, quite long and, you know, occasionally have it in you know, ponytails or, or braids or something like that would wear, would classify as typical female clothing. Um, you know, especially, you know, on vacations, he'd be in a, you know, like a sum- summer dress. Um, most often when he was uh, going to work, it would be, you know, a suit of some sort, you know, a, a female suit, uh, you know, earrings, makeup, you know, all of that. Yeah. And the one thing he struggled most with was my dad had had quite a deep voice and so trying to talk with with a higher pitched voice almost constantly i think was the one of the things he had really had to keep in mind um, in his day-to-day life and most of his most of the people he worked with and all the obviously all of his friends knew that he was born a man but when you you're just walking through a public or you're at a restaurant or a movie theater trying to trying to mask a very deep voice is pretty difficult yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when like the deep voice would would flip out, you would catch facial reactions from people around us or or stuff like that. And uh, I know my dad was very self conscious of how people people viewed him, but he got handed to him for actually living how he felt he was called to live. Yeah, right. And so he never he never had surgery to transition to a woman. Nope. No. No. He was still still attracted to women. Like both my parents both my parents got remarried, and my mom married a man, and my dad married a woman. Yeah, my dad wasn't wasn't homosexual. He wasn't attracted to other men. Yeah, just felt like he was called to be a woman and was still attracted to women. When you were growing up, then, like, sorry for all the dumb questions, Grant, but I really do find this quite fascinating. I've got to say. So when you when you were growing up, did you? And I'm projecting myself here, so so forgive me. But were you ever embarrassed? Oh yeah, um, yeah. Actually, both my sister and I quite uh, were quite embarrassed about it, though. You know, grade school is is rough enough, especially you know you're 12 and 13. You're we're all trying to find ourselves, and you know, if your your voice squeaks, that was like the the worst thing that could happen to you throughout yeah. the whole school year as a as a young guy. And so life was embarrassing enough, you know, going through the early teenage years, and yeah, having this you know this kind of secret knowledge of of how my dad lived, 
I didn't want anybody to see that or know that. You know, it kind of felt like a like my own personal shame or my own personal secret that I was caring about and the caring that I was and that it was a a secret about myself, which it wasn't. It was it was my dad's choices and and his life, but I I carried it on like it was a part of me. Yeah. Did you have resentment about that? I think I did. I didn't realize it until I would say just five or six years ago. So when I, in my early twenties, I was a monk for three years. And during that time, there's a lot of really personal time with prayer and really intense prayer and focusing in on, on our emotions and everything like that. And you know, all these things about my dad really started to, to come up. Yeah, I realized that there was a lot of unresolved anger and I would say borderline hatred uh, towards my dad. And, you know, so I really tried to dig into that and figure out what the source of that was. And when it came down to it, no one has perfect parents. Mm-hmm. And I realized that not just my parents divorcing, but the reason why they divorced and that my dad decided to live as a woman, I felt that he just doesn't want to be my dad. Not that he just doesn't want to be the part of the family. He doesn't want to be a man. And I presume that, you know, if he had transitioned earlier, that our family wasn't part of that picture and I wouldn't be here. So I was kind of thinking of how if he really had his way, he wouldn't have been my father uh, to begin with because I wouldn't have been born. And so there's a lot of anger that comes up with that of what's wrong with me that he doesn't want to be my dad. Mm. And just just then looking back on it, I guess, did you, <clears throat> in all honesty, would you have preferred him to keep his secret to himself? I'm, I'm a little conflicted on that on that question. Um, you know, I can I can complain and moan about the kind of dad I wanted, or you know, I would say that you know, maybe the kind of dad I deserved. Um, but I know that it was very difficult for him to keep denying uh, what he felt was his true self. Um, I know at certain points in his life he he was suicidal. Um, trying to come to grips with with what he was thinking and what he was feeling. And so looking back, um, I'm very I'm very grateful for for the father that I had. Regardless of the the shortfalls that our, our relationship had, you know, we never had a really good father son relationship. Regardless of that I, I felt a lot of love from him from him. Um, I know he cared very deeply about me and my sister. And you know, like you like you said towards the beginning of how you know courageous it was for him to actually uh, be truthful about himself. That's a that's a great lesson to pass on to your kids, to stand up for what you actually believe in and how you feel called to express yourself, and to not avoid possibly very awkward and potentially angry conversations. You know, so in in the dad that I did did have, he did did still instill in me a lot of a lot of great values of what it what it means to be a man and be um well, just to be a human in general um stand up for what you believe in be courageous be brave um, those are very important lessons to learn i definitely like i mentioned a little bit earlier i was you know part of a a catholic religious order for a while and we did a lot of mission work actually i lived in new york city and there's a lot of characters in new york city and just the way that i grew up and the family dynamic i grew up in i was much much quicker to be able to talk with people that came to our door who were not typical. And so a lot of the, you know, we call the outliers on society. I was able to 
connect with people who were not accepted by society because I lived with someone. You know, my dad was someone who in our small German Catholic town would have not really have been accepted, yeah. uh, unfortunately. Yeah. And so it was definitely equipped me to be able to connect and, and talk with people from a lot of different, a lot of different backgrounds. And um, that's something I'm very grateful for. And I remember one guy, uh, one guy came to the door in New York and um, big bushy beard. It was a very muscular guy, uh, but he was wearing a hot pink bra and a black fishnet shirt. And, you know, the um, guy I was living with who opened the door wasn't really sure how to, how to approach, approach that. And, you know, I saw who he was talking to and I went right into action. You know, I was like, oh, these are my kind of people. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I think that's so great. Your dad sort of really opened your eyes to a, a whole new world, I guess. Yeah, and I think that was a, a product of the age that me and my sister were when, when my dad transitioned. If he had transitioned when we were teenagers, I'm sure my outcome would have been a lot different. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. And so tell me, so so after after you finished school and you got through all those awkward years and that and that shame that you mentioned about um, who your dad was and and how he lived, what did your relationship become like when you were like in your in your twenties? Um, it definitely got better. Yeah. Um, obviously, a few years in high school, you are. Know, our setup of every other weekend started to fall through because you know, I had jobs. I was involved in sports. So I wanted to actually go hang out with friends on the weekends and, you know, not go to the dad's house. Um, and then, you know, after high school, went on to university and eventually moved out to New York city for three years. And so I wasn't around for a lot. I mean, I was in a different state, you know, uh, 1500 miles away for, for a number of years. Um, but there's definitely once I worked through things in my own emotions and my own uh, my own thoughts about how I grew up, I would say our, our relationship never never got good. There was kind of awkwardness that used to be there in middle school or high school that wasn't there anymore, and we were just able to hang out and talk as as father and son and have a beer, play some cards, um, and really just enjoy each other's company, which um, which I'm very grateful for. Yeah, but that time was cut short when your dad was diagnosed with cancer uh, when you were in your mid-20s. So can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I was living in in New Jersey at the time, actually. And you know, I got a call from him, and he had left a message. So I listened to the message and said that he... I went to the doctor and that he needed to tell me something, and I knew in an instant what it, what it was, and actually predicted the way he found out he had cancer. I kind of knew it in myself. Um, like three months earlier, he had sprained his back. And I know that that pain was never really went away. Mm-hmm. And so when I heard his message that he had something to tell me, I thought to myself, I bet my dad went to the doctor for back pain. They said, let's do an x-ray. And in the x-ray, they saw um, some sort of image around his lungs. And I bet they did another scan, and I bet they found out it was cancer. And when I talked to my dad, that was the exact setup that actually happened. Right. Yeah, so when, he, when I was actually talking with him and he broke the news to me, um, we spent probably a good five minutes just just weeping on the line together. Um, you know, we, didn't, we didn't say anything. We were just you know, letting our emotions flow. and um, That's when I really came to terms with 
yeah, maybe he wasn't the best father or the father that I wanted, but um, like, but I, I chose to be a bad son. And that was something that really weighed, weighed on my heart. And um, when you say that you were a bad son, do you mean just in the way that you held that resentment towards him? Yeah, I never went out of my way to actually get to know my dad or, um, like I mentioned, you know, in high school, I would um, actively search for things to do on the weekend so I could use them as an excuse to not go to my dad's house. Um, and I never put in in much effort into our relationship. And, um, you know, our relationship wasn't perfect. And you know, part of that was because of how he felt he was called to live and he felt he couldn't, that that wasn't his choice. It was just something he had to do. Um, but I made choices to not, to not be a good son. Yeah. Um, you know, it was never, we never had, you know, yelling matches or anything. I, yeah. you know, never screamed, I hate you. Um, we were always very, I would classify our, our interactions as cordial. They were yeah. very like professional and very surface level and never really, really dived into an actual um, deep father-son relationship. And I realized that, that part of that blame was on me. Um, I kind of really felt that guilt come up and realized that I've wasted a lot of my life where I could have been building that relationship, but I choose not, but I chose not to. So how long did, how long between uh, the diagnosis and uh, before he passed? Um, so his diagnosis was, would have been March of 2016, and he died January of 18, so a little under two years. Right. Do you feel then, Grant, that you made the most of that that, that two years that you had? I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the last year and a half of his life, I moved back to Minnesota and decided to live with him instead of with my mom. and. Um, because he was still working at the time, but we knew that you know eventually the chemotherapy and the radiation treatment would would catch up with him, and he would become very weak and wouldn't be able to work. And so we knew that he was going to be going to be at home. And um, I offered to when I moved back to Minnesota, I offered to to live with them and and help out any way I could. And for the last last six months or so, um, you know, he couldn't walk around the house. By himself, so I would you know, push him in his walker. Um, you know, needed help um, you know, getting out of the bathtub, um, going to the bathroom, and um, so I think there was a lot of unacknowledged healing in our relationship just yeah. with, uh, because of that. Um, once the cancer diagnosis came, I realized that I might not have many years left with him, and the years I have had, I've been consumed by unknown anger and what a waste of those years they were not being able to build up our relationship like I should have, because I was playing the part of the, the wounded child. Um, and so, yeah, the last few years, I, um, it was really quite a blessing to be able to have more intentional time with him. And, um, did you, do you feel that you accepted his choice did you approve of it? Um, I wouldn't say that I approve of it. This is the the point where a lot of people tend to get quite angry with me for some reason. Um, 
know, because you know, I feel like I can support someone's uh, freedom to express themselves how they feel like they should, but I may not necessarily agree how with with how the person chooses to express themselves. Um, and do you think yeah. do you think your dad was aware that uh, that you may have supported it his his decision, but you didn't truly accept it? Do you think he knew that? I'm sure he was. Um, yeah, I'm sure he was aware of that. Um, there is this disconnect between maybe not approving of how someone chooses to express themselves, but that doesn't mean you don't love the person. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, but, but I don't think I don't think anyone could ever make a claim that even though I don't approve of how my dad lived, people can't make the claim that I didn't love my dad. I would have liked to have have had the courage to, you know, say like, "Hey, Dad, can we talk about this?" Um, and and you never really did, even in those 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 last two years of his life, you never actually really talked about your feelings about that. Not about that, no. Um, and yeah, so there's definitely um, yeah, I regret that I'm not going to try and dwell on for the rest of my life. But it's definitely one that's there that I wish I would have been would have had the courage to have that difficult conversation, like like he had the courage to have that difficult conversation with my mom. Yeah. Yeah. So you've mentioned your Catholicism, so I'm just wondering what role it had to play throughout all of this. Uh, I think it was definitely, definitely lends to, um, I think, how well-adjusted I am to the whole situation. Um, you know, people use a lot of different things as coping mechanisms, and, you know, we, we believe that, you know, God is a loving God who made us to be loved and to love. I think that was definitely a huge, a huge factor in my, my being able to cope with, with my family situation. Um, that God had allowed this somehow as part of His plan. You know, all of this is some sort, of, somehow part of that plan to get both of us to heaven. Yeah, so I think just being able to have that, that mindset, that very loving mindset that, you know, we're called to have as Christians, um, definitely, definitely helped me a lot in the way. Um, that I coped with with my dad's life decision. Mm. Do you think um, because because you, you you've said that you believe in heaven and you know it sounds like a really nice place? Do you think your dad went there? So that that is a judgment that I, I cannot make. Um, yeah, I do, I do remember um, when I first got the call from my stepmom when she was in Mexico and she had told me that dad died. You know, the first thought I had was. Oh, he's he's going to see my brother Robbie. He's going to be able to talk with him. And so I think in that moment, yeah, you know, I had the belief that yeah. um, I'm sure Dad's in heaven. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think he ever did anything that would would merit eternal damnation. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. So I, I I think that's that's the basic tenet. I think if if you can get through life without doing that, yeah, you've done okay. Um, so just just as an aside to all that, what what sort of funeral did your dad actually have? It was it was a little interesting. So obviously, like when my when my dad was was out and about, and you know, my dad preferred using the female pronouns. And you know, when I encounter other people who are trans, I I use the pronouns that they they prefer. Me and my sister kind of talked about it and, and laughed how you know we would advocate for people to use the preferred pronouns, but we never really thought that applied to us and our dad. You know, just kind of the nature of it, it felt awkward for us to refer to our dad as as she or her. Yeah. I'm sure some people would 
will get mad at me for that, but I don't think people can really dictate how I how I talk about my father. No, that's kind of really really on my choice. And um, but so with the funeral being being public and you know open to friends and family members, all references were were female references for the pronouns and. A lot of family came. A lot of my mom's family, actually, a couple of my aunts and uncles came, um, who obviously would have known him before before transition and would have had almost no contact with him except for you know, my birthday parties, you know, growing up. Um, yeah. So it was nice to see, you know, that side of the family represented. And I actually had a had a good friend of mine from high school show up who I didn't know was going to show up because I didn't know she knew about my dad. And so when I saw her, you know, walk in the door, so there was very visible shock on my face. I'm like, oh crap, she's going to find out you know, how my dad lived. And, I don't know. Yeah. and I talked to her afterwards. I'm like, I'm sorry, I should have, you know, I didn't know you were coming. I should have, you know, given you a little heads up. And she's like, Grant, we've all known about your dad for years. You know, uh, it's just you that wasn't really talkative about it. But we all, we all knew. And, so it was nice that a lot of my friends, yeah, came to support me. And yeah, yeah, because that's a, that's interesting, isn't it? It's like that would be very easy for people to know you for years and not know that about you, I suppose. Yeah, it's not a yeah, it's not a typical conversation topic. You know, it's not like a, I say, hey, my name's Grant, and by the way, my dad's transgendered. You know, you don't just throw it out like that. Yeah, um, <laughs> I remember. So three of my my closest friends. Um, I told them when I was uh, 18 and you know, they all kind of, they all at the same time were like, finally, you're telling us about your dad. And I was like, what do you mean? Finally? Um, like, Grant, we've known for a long time, but we just didn't want to bring it up because obviously you weren't bringing it up. Um, and you know, my fear was that once people found out, um, I was irrationally afraid that they wouldn't want no longer, want to be my friend yeah. because I go the weird guy, weird family. We don't want anything to do with him. Um, but in the, in the year last you know, number of years, um, I've been much more open about it. Obviously I'm here doing a podcast, you know, talking about it too. <laughs> Who knows who's going to listen to this. Um, yes. You have become quite open about it. <laughs> yeah. So I've realized the, yeah just not even on my my end the emotional healing that it brings to actually not keep it bottled in anymore yeah. and not feel like i'm carrying around this the secret shame and just say like hey this is my dad this is my family mm. um it is what it is and so it's been really nice to be much more open with with my good friends about it and you know hopefully it under- helps them understand you know, a little bit more about who i am and why i am more reserved with my emotions in general because i so for so long, uh, my life, I kept things bottled up, and um, so been trying to be more open with my emotions in general and um, the things like this because it's yeah, it's not healthy to keep things stuffed down inside, and the longer you do, eventually it's going to explode, and who knows what that aftermath is going to cause. Yeah, yeah. But getting out, getting out into the light is yeah, it's a much more healthy way to approach it. Yeah. How do you compare? how you've handled it through life uh, as opposed to your sister? Um, as far as when we were when we were kids, unfortunately I can't really answer that much to that. Um, you know, because I would say that 
no one really asked me how I thought about it. And I realized that I never asked my sister how she thought about it. But in my brief conversation I had with her today, she also felt that she carried around like the secret or the shame for a lot of her formative years. And and, and so you never, you never growing up, the pair of you, you've only got each other and you've got this dad who's living like this and you're both keeping it as a secret and you never talk about it? Yeah, we actually kind of kind of laugh about that. I mean, it's a little bit of sad of a thing, but um, and I think part of this blame can be put on us and both and also on our on our parents. Um, our parents never talked to us about it, really. Um, we were never kind of told how to talk about it in public with our friends and with our family. Um, just on all sides, it was never talked about, um, which I don't think is a, a healthy way to approach it. And in talking with my sister and my mom today, all three of us are like, we should probably just have have a good sit down discussion over a beer, some glasses of wine, and actually just talk about talk about this. <laughs> I, I look, I, think, I, 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 think, I would strongly recommend that, Grant. Yeah, I, I, th- I think it's long overdue. Um, <laughs> I find that yeah, staggering. I know you that. know, I find that staggering because, like, you know, when we're talking about the '90s and the 2000s, I don't know. I just think, oh, weren't we a little bit more open minded, and and just realised it's important to talk about things. Yeah, and all three of us realised that the fault is equally shared among us. You know, none of us have brought it up. Um, and yeah, it's, it will definitely happen in the future. Um, <laughs> in the not, not so distant future, I hope within the next couple weeks or so. Um, uh, good. Because obviously the kind of you know, preparing my thoughts for this, for this interview, I, you know, bringing up a lot of my previous thoughts and emotions and realize that there's still a lot left unpacked. And um, yeah, I realized that my sister also will have things that, are unpacked and um, it'd be a great thing to just further build our relationship and unpack that together. Oh, it'd be fascinating to see how the whole thing unravels, Grant. It really will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for for, for speaking so honestly um, and openly about not only about what happened but your response to that situation. Uh, I think it would be very easy to leave out a lot of the complexities yeah. around your feelings towards who your father was. I love him a lot in, in my own way, and I felt a lot of love from him. And, and yeah, if Dad's in heaven and he somehow listens to this podcast, somehow, you know, hi, Dad, love you. Yeah, I, wouldn't, I couldn't have asked for a better dad. Thank you very much, mate. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It was, it's, uh, it's been fun. It's been, been a good talk. I hope you enjoyed this episode of My Fucked Up Family enough to subscribe, share or like. And remember, if you have your own fucked up family story you'd like to share, contact us through our Facebook page. Until next time on My Fucked Up Family.